which donations could be sent, but exclaimed, Fuck the address, and instead gave out a telephone number. It did not stop the money coming in. He was seen on camera taking a call from the Sheikh of Kuwait, who gave one million pounds. By contrast, the man who filed into the stadium beside him had probably never experienced an adrenaline rush in a lifetime in the public eye. Prince Charles looked older than his 36 years and quite out of place, in a dark suit with a folded white handkerchief in the breast pocket, striped pale blue shirt, tie and perfectly combed and parted hair that left his large ears in view. He endured the music with a fixed smile, apparently feeling overdressed. I'll have to buy myself a pair of denims, he is alleged to have muttered. At one point, he leant over to invite Geldof, in a whisper, to a concert at Buckingham Palace the following week, where they would be playing Bach and Handel. But the handsome young woman at his side, in a low-waisted, short-sleeved, pale blue dress with padded shoulders, was having the time of her life. Princess Diana was the most photographed woman in the world. To look like Diana was the summit of many a teenage girl's sartorial ambition. Her influence was one reason that padded shoulders had stayed fashionable years after models had walked the Paris catwalk without them. One fashion writer accused Diana of having pads that zoom ever further off into the outer limits of dynastic bad taste. Or perhaps the blame should be directed at the boy kings of fashion, Duran Duran, Diana's favourite band, or at Joan Collins, the grand dame of the American TV soap dynasty. Diana had lived under the public's gaze for more than four years, but still had a way of lowering her head as if she were trying to hide her face behind her short blonde hair. It was already rumoured that the royal marriage was not the happy-ever-after romance that it had first appeared to be. Their contrasting musical tastes were just one aspect of their incompatibility. After a few bars of the national anthem, the audience went wild with excitement as those old 1960s rockers, status quo, strutted on stage looking like a cartoon encapsulation of everything rock and roll is supposed to be. Ordinary blokes with long hair in denims playing 12-bar load to perform Rocking All Over the World. There were no support acts during this unique concert. Every band was big enough to top the bill. Almost every number performed was a rock classic. Between the acts, there were sombre interludes as the crowd was shown images of hunger and poverty in Africa. It is a tall order to expect adolescents who have paid money and travelled long distances to hear live rock to sit patiently through an instructive film about hunger and poverty, but on this unusual day even these bleak messages were received in respectful silence, particularly when Drive by the Cars which included the line, Who's gonna pick you up when you fall down, was played as the soundtrack to a searing video of a child weakened by hunger and struggling to stand up on thin legs. By nightfall, Live Aid had raised £30 million, three times what had been expected. The worst that could be said about that extraordinary day was that most of the people in the crowd had very little idea of the scale and complexity of Africa's problems. Thirty million pounds was an astonishing sum to raise from one charitable event, but it was nowhere near enough to impact on world affairs. As a comparison, two months after Live Aid, the British government sealed an arms deal with Saudi Arabia 
that was worth £43 billion, or more than 1,400 Live Aid concerts. The slush fund that the British contractor BAE set aside in Swiss and Panamanian bank accounts to pay commissions, or bribes, to various middlemen involved in the arms deal is thought to have been more than three times the amount raised by Live Aid. Geldof, to his credit, was quick to realise that if he was to take famine relief seriously, he would have to immerse himself in the politics of world trade, because all the energy and goodwill of that summer's day hardly made a ripple on Africa's problems. Even so, Live Aid was one of the greatest displays of generosity that Britain has ever seen, and it is the single most lasting image of Britain in the 1980s, which might seem odd because the decade is not thought of as a charitable one. In the USA, the 1980s is known as the Decade of Greed. Because